Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Last week I was in Greenbrier and uh, it was good, but um, there's nothing like being back home with your own people. And so I love being with you and uh, I hope you stick around today and hang out. We've just got a simple menu for you uh, this morning, but I I didn't want to create an eating experience. I want to create a hanging out experience. So I just want you to have a burger in your hand and be able to catch up with somebody. A couple of quick announcements. Next week is Father's Day. I encourage you to be here. We got some great stuff for you. And uh, men, the whole day is, is about you. Um, I know you want to fish and play golf, but you can do that after church. Okay, so you better be here. If you're not, we'll find you um, and say something nasty about you on Facebook or something. I don't know. But uh, try and, and be here. Uh, it'll be a great, great weekend. In your seat this morning was a newspaper and uh, just a little fun uh, piece, a creative piece designed by our own Johnson Guthrie, right here. He's right here. Uh, He designed it. Stand up, Johnson. Let us see it. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's right. So this went around to uh, all the churches in the state, and uh, so it's just a great creative piece, and so uh, we always appreciate Johnson's one of a kind. I'd take a thousand of them, so um, you guys can just enjoy that. Throw it on your coffee table. It's the entire book of Matthew in newspaper format. Uh, with just a uh, a lot of fun stuff in there. I think there's a crossword puzzle, uh, some crazy Arkansas weather, and then uh, some announcements, I think. So um, I want you to go today to Matthew chapter 1, and I'll be preaching a lot from Matthew this summer. Um, and so thus we're uh, starting a, a Matthew series. Um, but I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1. Now those of you who have been around me for a while, you know that I've had fun with Matthew chapter 1 over the uh, the years in uh, speaking on it, um, starting a sermon with it, ending a sermon with it. It's, it's just always been a, a, a fun read. Now, it's not fun if you're in the one-year Bible and you get to it. It's just one of those things that you kind of check off and say, okay, I read that, uh, but you really didn't. Uh, but if you want to go to Matthew 1, I want you to read this with me, especially if you have a King James Version Bible because it's so much more fun in there. Okay, because it has the word begat, and it says it like 50 times. Um, but I'm going to read from the NIV today. I'm going to get all these names wrong um, because um, I just don't uh, know them well. They're not common names, uh, but we can all laugh together at some of these names. So I'm going to read all 17 verses. This is known as the genealogy, and it starts the Gospel of Matthew. So let's read it together. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram. That's where Dodge Trucks came from. He started that many, many years. He's made a lot of money. Um... 
Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, Nashon, Nashon, Salmon, or Salmon if you're from up north. Salmon, the father of Boaz, the mother of Rahab, whose mother was Rahab, sorry. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Okay, so he's talking about Bathsheba. Verse 7, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat of Jehoram. And Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, Jotham. Jotham, Ahaz. Ahaz, Hezekiah. Verse 10, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon, and Ammon, Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, keep in mind, just a little little trivia, this has got to be at the tail end of, of the exile because he's old enough to father children. In verse 12, it says, after the exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud and Abihud, Eliakim and Eliakim, Azor, Azor, Zadok, Zadok, Achim, Achim, Eliad, Eliad, Eliezer, Eliezer, Mathen, Mathen, Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Y'all give me a hand for surviving that this morning. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Verse 17, he just says, There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So I'm going to give that to you simply put, okay? It is a thousand years from Abraham to David, and another thousand from David to Jesus. So when Jesus is referencing or talking about any part of the Abraham covenant, that's 2,000 years. So the only reason I bring that up is to give you some context that is we're here today talking about Jesus is the same distance of time that he had between himself teaching about Abraham, okay? So um, just to, just to let, let you wrap, wrap your mind around that. So let's kick this off. Almost everyone here has a part of your home that is overlooked, Almost every one of us, all right? So you've either got this overstuffed garage. Should I have you raise your hand if this is you on these examples? No, okay, just go on. All right, overstuffed garage or you got a porch. It's got a lot of cobwebs on it, a lot of boxes. Maybe you've been getting ready for a garage sale since 2018. Um, You got a scary basement or an unkempt attic. Like you don't, you think about going up, you don't even want to go. You didn't want to lower the ladder. You don't want to go in there. You're afraid of what might be living up there. Um, or maybe if it's not one of these big spaces, you got a junk drawer. Okay, how many of you have a junk drawer in your house? Okay, that's all of you. The rest of you are lying. Uh, you just don't think it's a junk drawer. You think it's well organized, but it's a junk drawer. Okay, you can find anything in a junk drawer, right? Like if you're going to be stranded on an, on an island, you want to have that one friend and your junk drawer because you, you could make it with everything that is in there. You got batteries in there. You got highlighters in there. You got a wrench in there. You got some sticky pennies. 
uh, in, in, in there. Nobody even knows where they come from. They just all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the night, they roll up into the drawer and they stay there. I opened our junk drawer recently. There were at least 50 of those little keys that door frames, the store, puts on, on your bag every time you buy something. Just this, this little key. And I thought to myself, who is buying all this stuff from door? Oh, okay, it's Robbie. I'm married to her. We are customer of the year over there, not because we've done anything special, but because we've spent the most money at door frames this year. The junk drawer is something that you just don't give attention to. You allow it to be this thing that's just kind of overlooked and no, neglected. These 17 verses that I just read are probably the most overlooked verses in the New Testament. So again, when you read your one-year Bible, you get there, you're like, hey, there's a bunch of names, just check it off, and I'll, I'll move on. You don't really try and absorb what's trying to be said there. But here's the truth about the Bible. All of it is significantly useful. And if you allow yourself when you read or study or you're being taught to go, everything was written for a purpose. This author had a reason for including this. Then we have to look at Matthew 1, 1 through 17 and think about why in the world would he include such things. So all of it is food for your soul. And sometimes you can look at some food and you can underestimate it, right? You look at it and you go, I don't know if that's going to be good for me or not, but it turns out being okay. It turns out being something that you can benefit from. It's like being at a southern barbecue. You see a big old pot of, of cowboy beans. Doesn't look, look like much, but it's going to get you. Okay, And so that's what Matthew 1 is. It may not look like much, but if we will just peel back a layer on it, I think we can apply it to our lives in a great way. A little background on Matthew. He was a disciple. Um, he wrote this gospel. Given his introduction, he did not pass preaching 101 in seminary. Uh, the introduction should be something that reaches out and welcomes your audience in, and instead he goes into this long genealogy, the, the begats. And so the Gospel of John, to compare them, John starts off very poetic. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he, he just kind of throws out this very deep thought, and he engages you immediately. Mark he was not a disciple, but he was Peter's disciple. It could be a TED Talk. And so it gets right down to the bottom line that Jesus is the Son of God. He just starts off his whole gospel by coming out with it. This is the good news, and Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew, the only one interested in his introduction would be Mari Povich. You know, who's your dad? And so it comes out, you know, uh, and the father is. And it's like this long, drawn-out thing. That's Matthew's introduction to us. But let me tell you why Matthew does it this way and a few things that you should never forget. And to do that, we have to get into some apologetics this morning. So the first thought is this. The life of Jesus is a historical fact. And so a lot of times, especially right now, people are combating Christianity. They're combating this thought of, of what's, 
what's real, what's, what's, what's the Bible's purpose, um, what is uh, the point of Christianity, isn't it just one big thought, and so people are doing uh, all, all of these, these things, and they're trying to uh, uh, get people to think on, on a certain frame over here to a certain frame over here, and then we're arguing, and, and all of these things are playing out in Christianity, and one of those is coming to be that Jesus was just this nice guy, but he's not the Son of God. Or that this idea of Jesus just kind of popped up out of nowhere. But Jesus did not pop onto the scene out of nowhere. And this is one of the things Matthew is trying to say, is that Jesus was not a figment of someone's wild imagination. And we have many cults and world religions that were the combination of imagination and peyote. And so people were thinking like, hey, what if I say this and I get a following and it happened and a small following turned into a larger following that turned into a larger following that turned into a movement that now has turned into world religions that once you look at them, in some ways, they're very scary and very cultic. But a genealogy was a Jewish male's birth certificate, Okay. It gave a person legitimacy of birth. It showed legal rights and proof of inheritance. It showed, well, if something happens to my dad, who's next? And so they kept these meticulous uh, statements and, and doc documentation of, of who gave birth to who so that things could be taken care of properly. It also... Uh, meant that you could not have to ever argue where you were from because where you were from was a very big deal. I mean, a birth certificate is important, right? So sometimes uh, in the Little League World Series, this is not taken very seriously. A few years back, there's this kid on the pitcher's mound throwing 80 miles an hour with a full beard. After they won the series, he drives off in a Dodge Charger I'm pretty sure he had something to do with the University of Alabama. I mean, I don't know. But they did not check this guy's birth certificate, obviously. But a few things that this genealogy shows us in Matthew is that Christianity is not a start-up religion from Bethlehem. Christianity is this continuation of what God had unveiled, even as we look at Scripture, we get just a piece of it, just a snippet. And I try to remind all of us, including myself as, as Christ followers, that we have one book, one collection of books over a long period of time where we try to say this is all that we're ever going to know concretely about God, His Son, His covenant, eternity, etc. We got one book. So it's just, it's just a glimpse. There's no way that we can possibly know everything. But what Matthew is trying to say, first of all, is in a very young belief system is to go, no, the Christ did not just pop out of, out of someone's imagination. This is a continuation of what God has wanted to do through generations of time. This is funny because a religious person in Matthew's day, let me back up, there were five women mentioned in this genealogy. And there's 
It's kind of funny because in Matthew's day, in this religious society, they woke up every day thanking God for two things. Number one, I'm not a Gentile. Number two, I'm not a woman. And so Matthew puts both of them into the genealogy. I mean, he's very, very, very risky on this. So this leads to this thought. There are many different ethnicities in this genealogy. There are Moabites, there are Canaanites, and even in those two groups, you've got black and brown-skinned people. So Jesus' genealogy is a gumbo of ethnicity. It destroys the teaching of superior or inferior races. But yet we are part of a beautiful and colorful and flavor-filled family of faith. You have roots, and I think that's very important. When Jesus was standing, watch this, before trial, or standing trial before Pilate, Pilate's wife comes up to him and she tells him, hey, I want you to be very careful how you deal with Jesus today because I've been up in my dreams all night long. So I've just had these, these, these crazy dreams about him, and I just want you to be, be careful. So, Pilate looks at Jesus and he doesn't say, what have you done? I mean, that's something you and I would ask, right? We're about to put this guy on trial and we, we want to know, what have you done that's so bad that these people want you to be crucified? I mean, they're willing for me to give them another guy who's done terrible things. So what, are you, what, what have, have, have you done? But that's not what he asks. He says, where, where are you from? Where are, are you from? And so Matthew is answering Pilate's question from the beginning of this gospel, where are you from? But it's very important that we have, have roots. We live in a culture right now that has no roots. Very few people plan on living and dying where they grew up. Not a bad thing. But there is a search. There is an internal drive to find out where they are from. Ancestry.com, 23andMe, these are companies that started very, very small and exploded into multi-million dollar companies. As a matter of fact, people were giving away 23andMe as a Christmas gift. How bad is that? You think you're getting that brand new shotgun, but no. You get to give a blood sample and find out where you're really from. And they send you back this piece of paper that they made up in an office and just tell you where they think you came from. I'm kidding about that part. 23 and me, please don't sue me this morning. But God uses, second, God uses people who are less than ideal. When we read the genealogy, there should be hope for every single person in this room if you've drilled down any at all into these names. Because as I read, you start to pick up and go, I read something on that person. I read something on, on, on that person. And you understand that the people that came down this line all the way to Joseph who married Mary, who had Jesus, there were some, there were some tough people. Uh, these were not uh, well-polished royals. You had all kinds of people in this mix. And there was a major difference between the Old Testament genealogy and the New Testament. So let me give you a reference for that. 
If you go to Genesis chapter 5, you read through a similar begat that I read in Matthew chapter 1. Except there's a different emphasis. The emphasis in Genesis 5, and if you've got a paper Bible, you can go there now and flip back and forth between the two. But the one in Genesis 5 focuses on death. It ends every time with, and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And -and so-and-so lived so many years, and then he died. And then so-and-so lived, and then he died. And the emphasis was on moving on in death. Matthew starts by going, so-and-so had a child. The focus becomes about life. And we see this, and we call this a type and shadow of Jesus because even in, in, even in the talking out between Genesis 5 and Matthew 1, which both are beginning books, we see that an emphasis has changed from death unto life. Matthew is showing there is a new covenant coming. There is a birth that took place that changed everything. And so his emphasis ended up with, and then the Messiah was born, rather than, and then there was death. So we're moving metaphorically between those two books from death to life because of the birth of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the emphasis is on the wages of sin is death. In the New Testament, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's why we're all here today. We believe that this gift of God is life to us. In some way, you following Jesus sparked something inside of you. It resurrected something in you. You were changed in a moment. When you turned your life over to Christ, something in you was different. That's the good news for you. And sometimes we lose track of of that trajectory that all of us were on. Where would you be today had had that decision not been made a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago? Who would you be? Where would you be? Who would you be married to? What kind of life would you have? What kind of faith would you have? What kind of joy would you have? But you believe that the gift of God was eternal life. And that's what Matthew is starting off and going, hey, we got to understand that you've got roots. You got to understand that there's something about this, this moving forward from death unto life. And that gift of life is given to each and every one of us today. But when you look at the characters found in here, man, there were prostitutes and murderers and thieves and pagans, and the, the best of sinners was in this list. And then it ends with, and then there was Jesus. Well, there's good news in that because your family cannot limit you unless you allow it. And some of you need to hear that today. Your family tree looks pretty rough. Maybe it's questionable. Maybe you had a dad who had a a dad who had a dad. And none of them were righteous. None of them lived for God. And here you are. The odd one out, trying to live your life and start and blaze a new trail for your family, for your kids, so that they can have the hope of looking back and saying, Dad, a granddad showed us the love of God. And so there you, there you are. You are the first tip of the spear for your family. So I would encourage you, don't fall into a victim mentality. 
Don't say to yourself, if I only had better parents, if they were better people, if they had more money, if they had more influential friends, if they had been more ambitious, then my life would be so much better. If my folks would have lived for God, if my grandparents would have been religious, if somebody around me who loved me and cared about me would have said something about this good news, how much earlier would I have started my life full of joy? Man, when you look at his family tree, this genealogy, there are those that started well and finished terribly. This list is full of integrity issues and relational issues and power issues. And some some in there were even demon-possessed at one point. So if you think you are limited or bound to sin or poverty because of your environment or your hereditary traits, you are missing the power of Jesus being in your life. And the word of encouragement I would give you this morning, if that's you struggling with your family tree, is go start a new legacy. Turn a page. Begin a new story. It's not too late for you. And third, the good thing to come out of the genealogy is this great story about God restoring people. I want to point to one person. This is where I'm going to spend the last leg of my time this morning. Rahab the harlot. That's a a better way of saying prostitute. She was a harlot. She's all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. She's in historical books, wisdom books, the genealogy, the hall of faith found in Hebrews 11. I believe it's because her story is meant to inspire every story. Her story is meant to be looked at and said, if Rahab can do this, then this can be for me as well. If he can help her, he can help me. If he can turn her life around, he can turn my life around. She's meant to be an inspiration to all of us, even all these years later. Rahab, if you're not up on her, it's because she has this random story that unfolds early in. She has this brothel just inside the wall surrounding Jericho. And you know the story. The children of Israel, they send in two spies into Jericho, and they get found out. Well, Rahab helps them. She hides them and keeps them from death. And when the children of Israel march around Jericho, Rahab throws out this crimson cord where she lives. And the wall falls everywhere, crushing those close to it, just destroying the city, destroying many in its falling, but not Rahab. And that crimson red cord is just a whisper, an Old Testament whisper of what the blood of Jesus would do to save us, to save us from our sin. That in the middle of a wall falling, in the middle of destruction, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of going, I don't know what to do. There was a whisper, just a red cord that said, I've got this taken care of. That same strand runs through your life. In the middle of trouble and trial and not knowing what's going to happen next, there's a slight cord that runs its way through your story. It's just a whisper of what the Lord has done and will continue to do. In your life, it's also a prophetic picture that out of her house there would be a legacy. 
All right, I want to pause there for just a minute. Some of you think and really believe that, that you are extremely common. You look at your life, you look where you live. And you begin to back out on Google Maps from where it has that little red tag where you are. And you think, man, I'm just an average person in an average city. And if we look at metrics, a below average state. And what, what am I going to do with my life? And a lot of people, that's why it ends up in very rural areas, they lose vision very quick. They don't have a dream anymore. So they get derailed early on. Maybe, maybe it's high school. Maybe it's right out of high school. Maybe it's the first couple of years of college. But they, they derail, and something sits on their chest and said, you're going to be just like everybody else in your family. This is a continuation of their story. There's no way for you to get out of this. There's no way for you to dream bigger than this. There's no way for you to have, have vision. There's no way for you to make more, do more, be more than anybody else ahead of you. So just listen. Just sit in your inner, inner tube and go down the stream that your forefathers have provided for you and just continue to be. And so somewhere you, you get really discouraged about it. But I want to speak something spiritual over you this morning and say there could be a lot more to your story than you're letting in. Um, you could really break a cycle in your family's life. You could be the first person in your life, in your family, who doesn't depend on alcohol to get by. You could be the, the very first person to serve God with your whole life. You could be the very first person to start a business, to finish your education, to, to do a lot of firsts, a lot of great things. If you will just let the Lord speak and whisper into your story, it can completely change the trajectory of everybody after you. So when you look at Rahab, do, do, do not miss this, okay? What do you do after receiving grace the way she did? Well, you start walking with new people. And that's exactly what she did. She pulled up stakes, made some new friends, and one day she bumps into a fisherman named Salmon. I'm kidding, he was an architect. And Salmon is this architect, and they fall in love. I mean, Hallmark couldn't dream this, this one up, right? And so Salmon knew everything about her, but he wanted her still. Again, a type of the goodness of God. He knew her story and said, I'm still going to marry you. Uh, Rahab, you can talk about everything that happened, and you can talk about what your life was like, and you can talk about what you did, but I love you, and I'm going to marry you, and we're going to have a family, and that's exactly what happened. They had a son named Boaz who had a son named Obed who had a son named Jesse who had a son named David. And God can do more than you have ever imagined through your life. And Salmon and Rahab and baby Boaz settled down, and he began building a small town called Bethlehem, and that would be the place where Jesus would be born. 
from harlot to heaven's story. And listen, if God can take that mess, okay, let me look at you. If God can take that mess and turn that thing around and put grace on it and say, Rahab, I see you and I know how you feel about yourself. I know what you think about yourself. I know you look at your history and you're full of shame, but I've got a plan. And some of you need, need to hear this story because some of you were addicts. Some of you were liars. Some of you were homewreckers. But he sees you. He sees you. And he can put grace on your story and turn that thing around. Now, you, you can choose to live in all those things that you've done. You can choose to do that. And you can choose to muddle through life with your head down and hoping nobody sees you. Or you can realize that when God is involved in your life, His will is going to happen for you. Nothing can stop Him. He is beyond a force to be reckoned with. He's a, he's a rock and a river for you. Like you think you're going one way, and suddenly... It creates a current in a different way. That's you. That's me. And suddenly your story of lying or adultery or addiction completely changes into a testimony of the goodness of God, not on how terrible you are. And from you and from your life and from your vision and from your dreaming, a Bethlehem can be built. A place of preparation, trash to treasure. So it begs us to ask the question what can you do with my life? And some of you might be here right now, and you need to ask this question and, and, and come back to the simplicity of the gospel and just say, Lord, I, I, I accept you, I, I, I love you. Maybe that's been five, ten years ago, but right now I need to get back into dreaming what my life can be if I just let it go. If I receive the grace of God on my life. This is why Matthew starts. He says, do you not see this list of people? These people are less than ideal, less than perfect. He does that because he knew somewhere in a church, in a city, in a state that was beneath the metrics, somebody would be talking this morning and saying, if he can do it for them, he can do it for you because we are Matthew chapter 1. When your life is under grace, He can do whatever He wants with your life. Right? I want to pray over you this morning, and I want you to bow your heads with me in this place. You say, Kevin, I'm here right now. I'm here right now. And I've got a less than story. I've had so many less than moments and it's created pages and chapters and today I want to just turn my life over to grace. I've been carrying baggage and sin and a story that I'm not proud of. 
hate answering the question of why did you move here? How did y'all meet? Tell us about yourself. I hate those questions. Today, I just want to turn my life over to grace. You say, Kevin, pray for me. Will you just lift your hand in this place today? Anybody in the house? Man, yeah, yep. Anybody else? Yep, yep. Anybody else today? Man, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Man. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to pray over you, but I want you to know that we're going to go into a song of worship and after service today, I'm going to be up front and get a few of our prayer people to stick around. and I want to be able to pray with you if you want that today. But Father God, right now in this moment, we just come to you. We bow our hearts. Lord, your word tells us in Romans that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There's not a single part of our story that's not redeemed. today, God, I've just felt in my heart there are those that walk in this room just condemned today. We turn the whole story to you, Lord. Apply grace. God, I pray that you speak vision in this room today. People who quit dreaming a long time ago, give them a new dream. Something fresh. A revelation of how you see them. Of how they could spend their life emptying it out for your glory. So God, come into this room today. Come into every heart, every life. Push out all those negative voices and pour in grace today. Let us feel it in our soul. Grace over my story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you just stay with me all across the room today? We're about to worship as, as we do. Listen, there's in the back, there's we've already had communion, but there's prayer cards in the back. We'd like to hear from you. We'd like to know what we can pray with you about. Those are anonymous. You can choose to put your name on them or not, but we pray over them all week. Give them to our prayer team, our staff. So feel free during this time to fill one of those out. Let's just worship the Lord together in these last moments. Amen.